to Today on Broadway for Thursday, September 24th, 2020. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. I am back in here with you solo today. Very many thanks to Mr. Tamanini for jumping in yesterday after some personal family mess, but very happy to be here to get you all into this Thursday following a very busy news day on Wednesday. Before we get into all of that, though, I would be remiss to not first send you over to our Patreon to back us if you haven't already, and if you are able to do so, at patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. As far as theater and theater-adjacent news on Wednesday, we had two big stories dominate the news cycle. First up here in New York, the Metropolitan Opera delivered a massive blow to the arts community. After initially canceling the first half of the 2020-21 lineup earlier this year, the New York Institution has announced it will not return to the stage until at least fall 2021. The Met had initially intended to resume this New Year's Eve with a gala that would usher in a subsequent lineup that included a new production of Dead Man Walking. That has now obviously changed, and they intend to remain dark until September 2021. The first and main issue this brings up is the institution's labor force. Since the shutdown in March, the Met has lost over $150 million in revenue, leaving roughly 1,000 full-time employees, including its orchestra and chorus, furloughed without pay since April. In an interview with the New York Times, Met General Manager Peter Gelb confirmed that he intends to negotiate with Met labor unions regarding pay cuts in newly considered contracts, including hopefully potential compensation during the hiatus. However, if you are familiar with the Met, they have a history of, let's say, contentious labor negotiations, including back in 2014, when a lockout was only just averted in the midst of major labor concessions. And just last week, as reported by the Times, after firing its longtime conductor James Levine in response to sexually abusive and harassing conduct, the opera company reached a settlement with Levine that paid him $3.5 million. Important to mention is current employees who don't sexually harass their colleagues aren't getting paid, so that is very likely to complicate upcoming negotiations. And especially considering said negotiations mean that unions will have to agree to cost-cutting concessions in the post-pandemic world in order to support workers throughout the remainder of the shutdown. The American Guild of Musical Artists has already spoken out against this. In a statement, the committee wrote, quote, The Met seems uniquely determined to leverage this moment to permanently gut our contract. It cannot solve its difficult problems by turning its back on the artists who have built it over generations. This all leaves a lot of uncertainty for other arts institutions, including Broadway. According to the Times piece, the New York Phil is expected to give an update on its plans in early October. Carnegie Hall is figuring out its next steps. And of course, the Broadway League has no return date at this time. For all of those organizations, with the Met leading the path here, it seems likely to me personally that the Phil and Carnegie Hall especially will follow. 
Broadway is still looking at that March, April date for some shows opening, but we're not really going to know until the end of the year if that's optimistic or not. In the interim, though, the Met has announced plans for its returns and is not only responding to a call to introduce more contemporary works, but is also responding to calls regarding institutional and systemic racism as driven by the Black Lives Matter movement. If it hasn't killed all its employees by then, then the Mets 2021-2022 season will open September 27th with Terrence Blanchard's Fire Shut Up in My Bones, which will be the first opera by a black composer to be presented by the Met. Let me remind you, in the year 2021... The contemporary production will be directed by James Robinson and Camille A. Brown, who previously collaborated on the Mets' Porgy and Bess, also making Brown the Mets' first black director, again in the year 2021. (laughs) The organization has also added three black composers to its new Works Commission program with Lincoln Center Theater, Valerie Coleman, Jesse Montgomery, and Joel Thompson, and will feature new visual art pieces by Rashid Johnson exploring the black experience. Five female conductors will also take the podium in the new lineup, the most in a single season, Jane Glover, Karen Kamensek, Susanna Melke, Unsun Kim, and Natalie Stutzman, the latter two making their Met debuts. Additionally, the Met will offer more contemporary and English language options, including Cendrillon, adapted by Kelly Rourke, which is a Cinderella adaptation of some kind, Julie Taymor's The Magic Flute, Eurydice, helmed by Tony winner Mary Zimmerman, and Brett Dean's Hamlet. Simon Stone, who most recently directed Bam's Medea, starring Rose Byrne and Bobby Cannavale, will make his Met debut with a new production of Lucia de Lammermoor. Also included in repertory will be new productions of Verdi's Don Carlos and Rigoletto, the latter directed by Bart Scher, a return of Philip Glass's Akhenaten, which I loved despite being very iffy on Glass, and a return to the aforementioned Porgy and Bess, among others. As far as practical steps, the Met will also be looking to introduce earlier curtain times at 7 p.m., shortened run times with abridged scores, and cut intermissions to start. A lot to look at and think about here. As a regular Met patron, it is very welcome to see more contemporary pieces in this lineup and also the organization for once responding to actual calls for change as far as more women, more people of color. It's been going on for a very long time. I am not so encouraged, however, by what is likely to be a very contentious labor dispute coming up, especially because, as I said, I think the Met will be setting a major precedent here, especially for institutions in New York, to what happens with other performing arts institutions, including Broadway, not just for how long everybody will be out of commission, but how workers are going to be treated through the rest of the pandemic with quote-unquote the rest of the pandemic, and how they're going to be taken care of, if at all. On to our next big story, though, and something Matt and I were talking about on the show, I believe, last week as we questioned what would happen with the upcoming Steven Spielberg West Side Story in relation to how badly Christopher Nolan's Tenet did at the box office. Well, now we know. 
On Wednesday, it was announced that the adaptation, which was originally scheduled to be released in theaters on December 18th, will now be pushed back nearly a year and will now hit screens on December 10th, 2021. The project was one of several films that announced delays on Wednesday, including three Marvel titles, Black Widow, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Eternals, sorry Matt, as well as Deep Water and Death on the Nile, which is actually just being, that latter one is actually just being pushed back from October of this year to December for that holiday spot. And I guess good news, a few films also announced that they were being pushed up. The King's Man, The Empty Man, and probably a few other men as well. As we already know, West Side Story stars Ansel Elgort, Rachel Ziegler, Ariana DeBose, David Alvarez, Josh Andres Rivera, Brian Darcy James, Corey Stoll, and the one and only Rita Moreno. Disappointing to see this because I was certainly looking forward to this more than the actual stage revival. This is another one of those situations where we're going to have to see institutions make decisions about how to continue to produce and release art, film, and TV production, which is usually my main or co-main beat when I write for backstage. Slowly coming back, some places quicker than others, but the question comes down to once you make it, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to release it as a streaming or a rentable option? Are you going to try to release it in theaters? And how does that differ for international audiences where We're obviously not out of the pandemic, but restrictions are different in different countries based on how they've controlled further outbreaks. I don't think this is the only time we will see dates change for some of these films. Maybe not for West Side Story, since that and a few others are pushed so far in advance, but we'll have to see. All right, let's run through a couple of other news items in brief real quick. Time Magazine released its annual Time 100 list this week, which includes who they consider to be the 100 most influential people in the world, as comprised of, quote, pioneers, artists, leaders, titans, and icons. Several theater alums made this year's list, including Anais Mitchell, Billy Porter, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and Jennifer Hudson. As per usual, the list features introductions of the recipients written by equally stellar individuals. The coolest man alive, Andre DeShields, wrote the intro for Mitchell, Cindy Lauper for Porter, Mary J. Blige for Hudson, and Taylor Swift for Waller Bridge. I have absolutely no idea the connection there, if there is one. All the, the other three have connections. But Waller Bridge, uh, very deserving of whatever praise she gets from whomever. You can check out that full list at time.com slash 100. Next up, Playperview announced its upcoming month of programming. For October, the streaming service will present a reunion reading on October 3rd of Will Eno's Title and Deed, starring Connor Lovett and directed by Judy Hegarty Lovett, which will benefit Raices, Texas. And a 10th anniversary Broadway reunion reading of Jeffrey Knopf's Next Fall, starring the original Broadway cast, including Patrick Breen, Maddie Corman, Sean Dugan, and more. The reading of the Tony-nominated play about devoutly religious Luke and atheist Adam will benefit teens for food justice and be presented on October 10th. 
also newly announces a new installment of the Debrief Play Purview's ongoing Instagram live programming that will take place on October 2nd and feature Nate Cordry. And finally, a new book will be released giving an inside look at the off-Broadway production of Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. On the Roof, written by Samantha Hahn, who was the youngest member of the cast, will tell the story of how the revival came to be, with interviews from the cast, crew, and creative team, and taking a look at everything from rehearsals that end in tears and screaming in elevators, to the beautiful bonds between company members as strangers turn into family. On the Roof, colon, A Look Inside Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish will be released today, September 24th, and can be ordered from Pegasus Publishers. I have a couple of recommendations for today. I can't really call them feel good, at least not the first one. Comes from the New York Times, and it's an interview with Amanda Klutz written by Michael Paulson both about her late husband, Nick Cordero's coronavirus diagnosis and death. Also about looking ahead, though, including turning some of the GoFundMe money that won't go into medical bills into an undisclosed idea she wants to do for Nick. Difficult, but in ways a cathartic read. I can't even begin to imagine everything she's gone through in the past six, seven months. She's just always so positive where she shouldn't have to be. So definitely worth the read. The other a little bit more upbeat and a call to action from the cast of Hamilton, who united virtually on Tuesday for When We All Vote's Registered and Ready event, which was hosted by former First Lady Michelle Obama. The medley that they presented featured revised lyrics to the opening Alexander Hamilton, as well as Guns and Ships and more all centered around the logistics of voter registration and the various ways Americans can cast their ballot this fall. The video features Kyle Scatliff, Mandy Gonzalez, Miguel Cervantes, Tamar Green, and more, including, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda. So be sure to check that out. Also, check out more from the event and from the cast at whenweallvote.org slash Hamilton. And most importantly, register to vote if you haven't already. All right, that is all we have for you today. So thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And if you are willing, able, and so inclined, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at no, this is Ashley. That is if Twitter uh, stops purging my entire following list as it did for me on Wednesday. <laughs> have a great Thursday, everybody. And we will be back to talk with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.